Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tent Talks Podcast. I'm Stacy, your host, and I'm just doing a solo episode today. Well, actually, it's going to be more of a journey, if you will, because last time we talked about boundaries and just kind of gave an update on where I was with that, kind of at this new threshold place in my boundaries where I want to expand a little bit more, give more access to people that I've kind of had firm boundaries with. And it's hard to know how to walk that path when you're dealing with people who have a lot of shared trauma in the past. And you don't know how people have healed or not healed from that. And so it feels kind of delicate. Anyway, so that's kind of where I want to pick up today and just continue that conversation. And I started a conversation with Rachel, who's been on the podcast several times. And I started the conversation like this. I, said, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Oh. Um, I'm laughing because uh, she was laughing because I started the conversation like this. Last night, I was trying to invoke the nervous system of the dark goddess. And and she was like, uh, what? Well, I guess I, guess I can follow. And what I meant by that, what I still mean by that is... I was taught in Mormonism that you, and a lot of religions around the world do this, you like invoke your deity or you invoke aspects of them like upon yourself. And so, you know, taking on their countenance or there's even this like biblical, um, it's one of my dad's favorite biblical passages about like taking the yoke of Christ upon you. But there's a lot of ways that people invite their belief systems, their deities into their life. And it was inspired by something that I had seen online, somebody talking about invoking a nervous system. And I was like, whoa, yeah, the nervous system of the dark goddess. That sounds amazing because what we know about the dark goddess is she's been denied, kicked out, buried, left out, given every negative title in the whole world. She's taken on a lot of shit. And here she is. She's still alive and well. People seek her out. There's dark goddesses from so many different parts of the world, and they understand and they revere and celebrate the dark So in Christianity, there's Lilith. And Lilith, she said, see you later when she realized that it wasn't a partnership. And that Adam, like she had to obey him and do what he wanted. And maybe she was even going to be created. Well, she wasn't created from his rib, actually, in the original folklore of it. I believe that it was just Eve who then was created from the rib because Lilith took off and said, I'm not doing that. I'm looking for a partner or nothing at all. And I've always kind of, I've always kind of liked her for that. 
But, you know, I'm sure everybody has seen a really scary picture of Kalima with her tongue out and she's got black skin and she's got a belt of skulls around her waist and she's stomping on heads and she's got knives and she's so fierce and she's so even violent looking. And yet that is an aspect of dark feminism and dark goddess folklore and what does that even what does that even mean because in mormonism i was never introduced to a goddess number 1 she was silent and hidden and too sacred to talk about but number 2 in my wildest dreams she was never going to be seen with a belt of skulls or weapons on her. I mean, that would be the furthest thing <laughs> from my mind. But as I was thinking about the dark goddess and why me, I would want to invoke the nervous system of the dark goddess, I was thinking about boundaries. Because every time a woman chooses herself, it feels bad at first, it feels like you're doing something wrong. And usually there's this very overwhelming guilt. And it's persistent. And it comes again and again and again, like these stories, because these stories are inherited from our community. And they're told over and over again, you know, a selfish woman. What does it mean to be selfish, to choose yourself? How could you do that? And then there's a lot of things adding layers on that. But when I've set boundaries, I shared, you know, some really positive experiences last time of setting boundaries and having them be really supported by some friendships. But the internal dialogue and environment to get to a place to be able to verbalize a boundary is huge because you go through all of the things like, what if it's really true? What if I choose myself and I get abandoned, rejected by my community? What if I get persecuted, talked about, excluded? What if they no longer invite me? What if it's true? What if I really am doing something bad by choosing myself? What if... I mean, so many what ifs are coming up when even choosing the smallest boundary to take care of yourself and verbalizing and letting your friends know. And so in my thinking about invoking the nervous system of the dark goddess, it was like, she can handle anything. And that's kind of, I think, the real power of the dark goddess Give her the rejected, give her the betrayal, give her the addiction, the trauma, the terror of just being a human being and what that means, being a woman in the world. What does that mean? And yet she's been able to endure it all. And she's somehow thousands of years later after these myths and stories and all of the work of the patriarchy, somehow I still found the dark goddesses and their wisdom. And I realized those dark things or those shadow elements of myself. And I realized that those 
are actually the parts that are really protected. We just really, really protect the things that matter to us. And so sometimes we just layer on a lot of things on top of them to protect them. And once it feels safe enough, we just kind of peel those layers back. So we're peeling back what other people think about me. We're peeling back the possible rejection. We're peeling back the self-doubt. We're peeling back the times that we have stepped over ourselves, not trusted ourselves, chose somebody or something else over our own intuition. We peel back those layers and we find this really precious part of ourself. And that's what the dark goddess is protecting. And she does it so well. I don't know if that is making any sense to the listeners, but that's kind of what I meant when I wanted to channel the nervous system of the dark goddess, because I want to be able to fiercely have my own back at the expense of, of anything that might come my way. I want to still be able to choose myself because there is this foundational belief. And I tell myself, I repeat it over and over again, like choosing you is in alignment with everybody else around you. It is for the highest good of the entire collective humanity, the earth, everything to choose yourself and to honor yourself. That's not bad. And some people really know that, but I feel like people who've been heavily indoctrinated and grown up in a in a really abusive religion where they're taught that the natural man is an enemy to God and they're taught to like doubt themselves from a very young age. And anything that is out of alignment with church teachings is like the devil that's coming to get you. And, and you really think that there's this entity that is trying to destroy you. And and so you're living in fear and you're making yourself really small. And even if you do get some inspiration or ideas or thoughts or desires that are outside of this box that you were introduced to, it feels evil and bad and even like life threatening to go there or to trust it or to listen to it. Because in Mormonism, at least it's your entire I mean, there's a lot on the line, like your eternal salvation and seeing your family. And I mean, they threaten your family with your choices against you, but it's all this perceived like in the afterlife business. But it feels, at least as a little girl, I just remember feeling so torn every time somebody that I loved was doing something that wasn't in alignment with what I had been taught at church, like Even my grandpa, who was like drinking coffee, I was just like, so torn up about him having a cup of coffee because I was like, well, I guess I won't get to see this person in heaven. And it really affected my ability to connect with him or with anybody who was making bad choices. And I think this is really evident in small child relationships of not investing in people that they think are making bad choices. Because it's like, 
you're not going to be able to be with them in this eternal afterlife. So you probably shouldn't invest a lot of, you know, time building a relationship with them because it's just going to go nowhere. And I, I, I do think that that exists in, in small children to think that way because it existed in me. And now I see it in a different way as my friends are parents and certain friends of mine, they don't have their kids enrolled in the local church program. And so they're excluded in neighborhoods and schools because all of a sudden they're not good or, you know, valiant people because they're outside of a belief system. And so anything that's different than you becomes something to be afraid of in Mormonism. Or if it's not a fear, it's othered, or it's like, well, they're not going to heaven. And so if somebody isn't going to heaven, it doesn't take a big jump from your brain to say they're not good. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like if heaven is so heavily gate kept, gatekeeping, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but if there's so many rules and regulations and boxes that you have to check off, even though in Mormonism, they try to say, oh, there's just different tiers of heaven. Your little brain can only handle so much information. You know that if you're not going to the top tier of the celestial kingdom, you know somehow that you're bad. And so you want to do everything to be good. And you want the people around you to be good. And it's just this incessant wheel of information processing goodness all the time. How good am I? How good is everybody else around me? And so cue in the dark goddess and she doesn't care about goodness. That was never even a part of the conversation because what does that even mean to obey some outside authority over yourself? Absolutely not. If that's what good means, she's not a part of that conversation. She listens to herself. She's led by her own power and authority within her body, within her being, because she knows that true power is sourced from within. True authority comes from within. Because the fact of being alive and being embodied and being an entity is the power. It's the illusion. It's the trick that something outside of yourself holds or contains the information. You are the literal ingredients of the universe. You know, people say you're stardust or you're made out of the cosmos. It's, it's very true. You're the same ingredients. You're just composed as this body and this soul. But to look outside of yourself is kind of silly. And to certainly give your power away to something outside of you is even sillier because there's that's just not even in the conversation with the dark goddess. So I've been mulling this over for days, you know, thinking about how to invoke the dark goddess nervous system. And I came across Sarah Hanks, who was a guest on our podcast a while ago, she was talking about deconstructing faith. And she has a sub stack called Elder Sister. And she is not only is she an amazing historian, but from talking to her, you know, she's well read, you know, she's 
deconstructed her thoughts, turned things over, spun them around inside out, upside down. She's a very deep feeling individual. She's felt the feelings. I just think she's so brilliant. And she read this excerpt of this article that she wrote and she talks about the patriarchal goddess and she's just such a genius. I can't highlight her enough. Go to her on Instagram. She's at cottonwood.woman on Instagram and she's just amazing. So her idea of the patriarchal goddess, she just has this language of explaining it of, she was saying the exact same things that in other cultures where there is female or even non-binary individuals in deities, but she specifically talks about other female deities and how they actually have like literal traits or things that they're known for or different embodiments. So here I've been talking about, you know, the dark goddess, but there's also like the goddess of sex and lust and one that's all about childbirth, one that's all about healing. You've got some that are focused on hunting and gathering food and arts and music. And there's just all these very multi-dimensional female deities and other cultures around the world. And in Mormonism, it gets really tricky because a core part of Mormon belief system is polygamy. And it was actually in um, The Ghost of Polygamy, the book by Carolyn Pearson. She did a reading locally at Written Vision in Provo, and it was heated. People were up and leaving, throwing arms up in the air, audible sounds, confrontation, I mean, thank goodness there was like two or three mediators there trying to help people digest this information. But one thing that she alludes to in her book is that maybe the reason why there's been no information or expounding detail about Heavenly Mother or a goddess figure in Mormonism is because we're not really sure if God's a polygamist or not. It's kind of kind of scandalous and true to think about because a lot of the early prophets, well, all of the early prophets, they were polygamists. And so is that an eternal principle or not? Because it's kind of what temple or celestial marriage really means at its root is that you agree to that. So is there more than one mom? And so then Sarah Hanks, Sarah, I call her Sarah, like Tarot. She takes it a step further and she gives this imagery in her head that she sees. It's like angel cookie cutter shapes, like a paper chain of those angels that you see. And it's just this cookie cutter image of this white angelic being. And it doesn't matter if she has a personality or anything beyond that because it's a cookie cutter shape. And I just think that was such a brilliant visualization because she doesn't have to be anything. She just has to obey. She just has to be righteous enough to obey, to forego her entire 
personality, her entire wishes, desires, her internal source of power, she has to totally give that away to her husband, to her God, to whomever. And that's kind of what it means to be a goddess in Mormonism. If you go to her page, it's linked. And this article is so filled with wisdom. And I just wanted to highlight that snippet because she just so brilliantly captured this idea that we're cookie cutters. And there are traditions around the world that can honor a woman's experience to be more dynamic. But we couldn't even simply do that. She just had to be pure and white and obedient. Those were the only rules. It's so completely bizarre that we've all just agreed to that. Because once you start unpacking it, and really once I started putting boundaries differentiating myself or, or listening to myself and then really trying to honor what myself was saying, I learned really quickly that that wasn't okay with specific people. And I think it's just something that is not really specific to Mormonism, but I think it's so loud here because of this whole concept of not being allowed a voice, a face, a body, brains. We're just kind of this shape next to a God that has kids. Anyway, I don't, I don't mean to be depressing or, (laughs) or, um, overly dramatic, but I am obviously, but these are just some of the things I was thinking about this week of, this idea of channeling the nervous system of the dark goddess and what that would mean if I felt completely sourced in myself and I was my authority. How would that affect my life? That doesn't mean I don't ask for help. That doesn't mean I'm not part of community. That doesn't mean I don't have devotion outside of myself, but To me, what that means is that I can handle betrayal, rejection. I can handle the internal struggle. I can handle the terror of life and I can handle the traumas and the disasters and still keep going. And not only going, but I guess thriving. I mean, she's not only survived being buried in history books, written out, edited, but she's thriving. It's easy to find information about the dark goddesses. They're there. They're in service of us. And maybe it sounds a little funny and silly to say that, that I'm invoking (laughs) or I want to channel the nervous system of the dark goddess, but I'm, I, I am, that's my new That's my new aspiration so that I can take over that. I'm leaning on those traits so that I can find them within myself. Because again, why does representation matter? It matters to have the representation because how do you know you're capable of doing something unless you've seen somebody else do it before you? 
representation matters. So my goal is to develop those traits, find them within myself, and always giving so much gratitude to the dark goddess, all of the different variations around the world. Specifically, though, for me, Lilith, she's up there, Baba Yaga, Kalima, Hectate, I think is her name. There's different pronunciations is why I'm not sure if I'm saying that completely right. Aphrodite, I would, I would put her as one of the dark goddesses as well. But find some, find some that you do a little research, find out what that means and um, connect in with her. See what that feels like. Find some traits that feel good to you. And read a story about somebody who was worshipped for embodying those traits. Who was lifted up, given as an example of what it means to be a deity. What it means to be holy, what it means to be sacred. Because to be human is to be divine. That's the real deal. To be human is to be divine. There is divinity within humanity. It's a paradoxical statement, but it's true. That's why all of the gods and goddesses are modeled after human traits. We find it within. It comes from within us. We've created those myths and folklores. They came from us. And I just love that somewhere around the world, there was a time when women were included in the pantheon of, of what was holy and what was divine, sacred, worth writing down, worth being a part of history. Well, I think that's where I leave you today with those thoughts. Again, Sarah Hanks. Her substack is called Elder Sister. Her Instagram is cottonwood.woman. You can also reference Carolyn Pearson's book, The Ghosts of Polygamy. And as always, thank you to Kimberly Mehmet with Sound Production. And if you like what we're doing here, please like, please share with your friends. And if you want to be on the podcast or want to have a conversation, reach out let us know. We're always open for guests and for more conversations. Thank you for joining us this week and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.